For those of you who were here last week, you may remember that we encountered Jesus' wild cousin John, also known as John the Baptist. We continue on in that same story from Luke's Gospel, chapter 3. This is the proclamation of John the Baptist continued. This time it's going to be Luke 3, verses 7 through 18. Hear now the word of God. John said to the crowds that came out to be baptized by him, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruits worthy of repentance. Do not begin to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our ancestor. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children to Abraham. Even now, The axe is lying at the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. And the crowds asked him, what then should we do? In reply, he said to them, whoever has two coats must share with anyone who has none. And whoever has food must do likewise. Even tax collectors came to be baptized, and they asked him, Teacher, what should we do? He said to them, Collect no more than the amount prescribed for you. Soldiers also asked him, And we, what should we do? He said to them, Do not extort money. From anyone by threats or false accusation, and be satisfied with your wages. As the people were filled with expectation, and all were questioning in their hearts concerning John whether he might be the Messiah, John answered all of them by saying, I baptize you with water, but one who is more powerful than I is coming. I am not worthy to untie the thong of his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand to clear his threshing floor and to gather wheat into his granary. But the chaff he will burn away with unquenchable fire. So, with many other exhortations, he proclaimed the good news to the people. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Pray with me. God, help us to hear how the prophet John's challenging, maybe hard to understand words or, or good news. Make it plain for us. so that we may be better followers of you. We ask that your preacher be nothing more than just a vessel. We receive this word with clarity. In Jesus' name, amen. I want you to imagine with me for a moment. Put on your imagination cap. 
want you to imagine that it is the day of your baptism. It's the day of your baptism, and you come to the water with a joyful expectation that as the, the water touches your skin, you will feel the cleansing presence of God. And that crisp yet strangely warm feeling that comes along with your reception into the family of God. Imagine with me. You're prepared. You've made this decision for baptism. You say, I'm ready. I'm ready to be a part of the family of God. I'm ready to be a follower of the way. And they're standing by uh, the river or the baptismal font or the pool stands the one who is about to use water through pouring or sprinkling or dunking you, being that your baptizer is a good Methodist, they can do it any of those ways. And as you approach the water, maybe in your nice new white outfit that you got from Belk, you're surrounded by all of your family and fellow believers and you approach that water and the baptizer, the one who is going to baptize you, shouts at the top of their lungs as you approach, you brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? You brood of vipers. These are not exactly words of welcome from the one who is doing the baptizing. Not exactly what you want to hear that day, is it? But nevertheless, these are the words of Jesus' cousin John, who is baptizing people in preparation for Jesus' ministry. And the fact that these people hear John shout the way that he does and they don't turn around and run, is remarkable to me. Like he screams at them and calls them snakes, and they still come to the water anyway. It's remarkable. I want you to imagine again that you come into this space on a new member Sunday, on a Sunday where we're baptizing folks and we're receiving new members into the church. And you come into the space and I'm wearing a pair of bibbed overalls. I haven't shaved in months, and I'm wearing a straw hat. And as you come in and sit down, I yell at you, you bunch of snakes, come on up and get baptized. Chances are the offering in the joy box would be a little light that week. Very few of our guests would sign up to receive the e-news. And the amount of people who were willing to be baptized would dwindle considerably from 8.15 to 11 o'clock. That's how it would be. But these folks, they stay. What's even more remarkable is that they stay even after John continues to hit them with more harsh words. He tells them that if uh, they do not bear good fruit, that the axe is lying at the root of the trees. And that you, as a tree, you better 
bear good fruit. Because if you do not bear good fruit, the axe is at the, the root of the tree. And as another prophet named John, this time the prophet Johnny Cash would say, God is going to cut you down. So he calls them snakes. He tells them that there's a wrath headed their way. And then he tells them that God is going to cut them down and throw them into the fire. And they stay. Maybe it was fear that kept them there. Maybe they were so shocked by John that they didn't know what to do. Maybe... It was, in fact, the strong pull of the baptismal waters that kept them there. Maybe they realized that this crazy guy is actually a prophet. Whatever the reason was, they stayed. And what I love about this story more than the fact that they stayed is that they stay and they ask questions. They were not so terrified that they didn't ask questions. So after John gives the crowd this harsh word about snakes and wrath and axes and fire, the crowd asks the question, well, John, what should we do? Later, another crowd comes. This time, it's tax collectors. They come to be baptized, and they ask the question, what then should we do? And a little later yet, it's a group of soldiers. They come to be baptized and they say, what then should we do? These different groups of people all come out to be baptized by John, yet they all ask the same question, a very practical question, a question that we should probably embrace. What should we do? And in each case, with each of these three different groups, John's answer to their question of what should we do is just as practical as the question itself. For the initial crowd, John says, what should you do? Well, if you have two coats and your neighbor doesn't have a coat, you give your neighbor a coat. Same thing with your food. If you have an abundance of meals and your neighbor doesn't have a meal, share your food with them. And then with the tax collectors, John responds to their question by saying, what should you do? Take no more money than what you're supposed to. And then when this group of uh, Roman soldiers come and they ask, John says, what should you do? Do not threaten or extort people. All these things that John suggests as answers to the question of what should we do could easily be lumped into a category of common sense that we refer to as the next right thing. What should you do? Just do the next right thing. Each answer that John provides is a practical answer. 
It's not spiritualized or, or, or theoretical. It's not, well, you should pray about it or you should study more or you should just give it over to God. None of that. Each time that Jesus' cousin John answers the question of what to do, he provides a fleshy answer, a fleshy answer, an answer that will impact the real lives of real people that those who are asking the question are in community with. Give your neighbor a coat if they need one. Do not exploit your neighbor for your own gain. Do not be a threatening or intimidating presence in the life of your neighbor. Be kind. Be decent. Be just. And just do the next right thing. You know, Jesus would later simplify John's answer to the question of what should we do by just flat out saying, love your neighbor. You know, that's the problem with Jesus' sermons. That's why people hated them so much. You could understand them. Yeah, Jesus would simplify the thing. Love your neighbor. Just love your neighbor as yourself. You know, as followers of the way, it is imperative that we live in a way that is uplifting to others. So what should we do? Be decent, be kind, be generous. And not just in theory, but in practice. And not just at Christmas time. I'm so proud of, uh, of this church and the way that the church responded to the angel tree. It was a remarkable sight to see all those gifts in the narthex and then the overflow into the classrooms. It was, it was beautiful. It was a beautiful sight to see the church respond so well in, in a way that's fleshy, in a way that's real and intangible, like people are going to feel the love of God this Christmas because of the generosity of the church. Way to love your neighbors. Like, you get it. You get it. Good job, church. Good job. And I know that there are those of you who did not respond to the angel tree, but you have responded in other ways inside and outside of the church to make a real impact in the lives of real people. I know that many of you have supported our various uh, church mission areas as we support those who are on the ground supporting the neighbors who need to feel loved the most. You have given generously here and in general, and that's obvious. I'm proud of all of that. Church, you are not a brood of vipers. You are generous, you are kind, and you are good. But with that said, our work as the body of Christ, seeking to love neighbors and transform the world, is never done. We never get to the point where we have fully arrived until Christ comes back fully arrived. We should never get to the point where we fall into complacency and an acceptance of things just as they are. As followers of Christ, we do not dwell in the land of just good enough. 
we should never reach a point in our discipleship, in our following of the way, we should never reach a point where we no longer ask the question, what should we do? That question should be at the forefront of our lives, individually and communally, as followers of Jesus. What should we do? And so long as we are a people who rightfully continue to ask the question, then the answer from our prophets and our long-awaited Savior will be something. Something real. Something real that impacts those around you in a positive way. So what should we do? Always the next right thing. The next right thing, always. And if you're having a hard time figuring out what that next right thing might be, just keep coming back. It will be revealed. And when it is revealed, do it. Would you pray with me? God, we thank you for the opportunity to to hear John's words again. We thank you for the opportunity to ask questions and to receive answers. We thank you for reminders. Guide us and help us and lead us to whatever the next right thing may be. Give us the strength and the courage and the willingness to do it. This we pray in the name that is above all names, the name of the one who has already came once, Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen.